I think most of us have been guilty of trying to do things our own way and on our own terms. But the reality of that is that if we are not building things God's way on God's terms, then any success we have is going to be marginal or temporary. Eventually what happens is it crumbles because it's not built on God's plan for our life. And so the whole goal is to start examining the ways that God calls us to obedience in our business, in our ministry, in our family. And so we are looking for what God is calling us to do. And we are coming alongside of God and doing the things in obedience that he's called us to do. Instead of trying to do things on our own and ask him to bless it, instead it's this whole shift change where we are first looking to see where he's already working. friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach. I know sometimes you doubt if you are truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own. I know that you are praying for a way to know the difference and to be confident in your relationship with God and what He says in His Word. If you are ready to grow in your faith and your identity in Christ and to confidently step into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, before we get into today's episode, I have a quick word. I know you've been frustrated with being confident in how to tell the difference between hearing from God and wondering if it's your own voice. Listen, I know, I've been there myself. That's why I wrote the Bible study, She Hears, Learning to Listen to Jesus. This is a six-week study that takes you through the book of John, looking at six women in the life of Jesus. It also teaches the color method of Bible study, which helps you to learn how to really understand the scriptures. I include lots of cultural and historical information, and it really makes these familiar passages of scripture just come alive. This is a great study to do on your own, to do with some girlfriends or even some teenage girls, and it will help you really gain the confidence in how to hear from the Lord and set you up with some tools that will stay with you long after the study is over. You can find that on my resources page at shehears.org. And for a limited time, I'm offering all of my podcast listeners a special discount of 20% off. You can use the discount code hearing Jesus, that's one word, all caps, to get your discount. There are also some free videos and a leader's guide for you to get started. Again, head to shehears.org and you can find the Bible study on the resources page. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus podcast. We are going to be transitioning out of our previous series. We've been spending a little bit of time on spiritual abuse and uh, emotional abuse, uh, unhealthy church leadership, all those kinds of things. And we're going to be getting back into some more biblical content. I think we're going to be spending some time in the book of Genesis. But what I wanted to do today is to take a look at a story from scripture from Genesis that I think speaks into and summarizes some of the things that we've been talking about over the last two months. And so today we're going to be doing a study on the Tower of Babel. And I don't know if you're like me, I had had heard this um, preached and taught over the years in church and really kind of took things at face value. Um, but instead this week, I really took some time to study and learn about the background and the theological issues that are kind of coming into play. And I think it's going to make um, some of the things that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks really make some sense. So 
I'm going to go ahead and read it. We're in Genesis 11, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 9. And so you can listen or read along if you like. Um, I am reading out of the NIV today. So again, I'm in Genesis chapter 11. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. I want you to pay attention to the part of the verse I just read. It said they wanted to make a name for themselves. So we're going to come back to that. Verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So the way that I have normally heard this taught, or how I've thought about it, was really that they were attempting to um, get closer to God, and that... God didn't like the fact that they were able to accomplish something. Uh, and, and you know, I hadn't given it too much thought, to be perfectly honest. I had never studied this. I hadn't done more than the casual, you know, read through when I'm reading through Genesis. Um, but what I, I want to do is really spend some time looking at really what their sin was and why God responded the way that he did. So in verse 4, we we hear that they want to make a name for themselves. And I want to look at this concept of what making a name means. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, when we see God in the creation story, God is the one who names things. God is the name giver. And so we see that all the way through Genesis. We see that as God names things, he creates the function of things. Uh, in chapter 2, we see Adam. He is a name giver as well. And God gives Adam the job of naming animals. And a part of that is because Adam is made in God's image. And so he's carrying on God's work. Um, we see Cain name the city after his son. Uh, in chapter 4, uh, there's a man named Shem. And Shem actually means name. His name was Mr. Name. Um, one of my professors thinks that's really funny that his name literally means Mr. Name. But Shem was the ancestor of the Semites, the Shemites, Semites. It's the same people group. And so we see this concept of naming throughout um, the beginning part of Genesis. And then we get to the Tower of Babel. In chapter 11, we have this story of the Tower of Babel. In chapter 12, we see God again as the name maker. He makes Abraham, Abram's name great and, and renames him Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. And then later he renames Jacob to Israel. And then the book ends with the names of the sons of Israel that then become the 12 tribes of Israel. So naming is a key function of how God creates and purposes things. Naming is, is important. God is the one 
who makes a name. And that's really the beginning of the problem with Babel. Um, the the people there, and actually one of my professors, I did not know this, but he said this was actually the start of the Babylonians, Babel, Babylonian, which seems to make sense. I just never knew that. But basically they're encroaching on God's prerogative. And they're they're trying to do as people what only God is supposed to be doing. So they're taking this initiative that is really reserved for God to determine and assign. And God is the name maker in Genesis. Um, we see over and over God names creation. He names humanity. He names the, the Shemites or the Semitic, Semitic people. He names Abraham, makes his name great. And this Tower of Babel story really starts with this issue where it's a heart issue, where they are wanting to make a name for themselves. A little bit of background, and um, I don't know if you know this, I did not know this, but essentially in this time frame, the kind of tower that they would be building, I just always pictured it, maybe it's like childhood children's church stories, I always pictured it kind of like the Tower of Pisa or something. Like they made it and then it was destroyed, it tipped over or something, um, just super skinny and tall, something like that. But in reality, um, this was likely a ziggurat. And so if you could picture, um, similarly, similar to ziggurats, you had pyramids. Pyramids, of course, are that triangular shape. A ziggurat is platforms that are decreasing in size as you go up. So almost like giant steps. And the ziggurats were the skyscrapers of the day. They were the big buildings, the biggest buildings that they had. And so scholars believe that the Tower of Babel in form was a ziggurat. And in ancient Mesopotamia, which is the area that they're in, that's what they were building. Ziggurats were... Um, not just part of this culture, but some of the other, um, you know, pagan religions or some of the other religions of the time, there was ziggurats being built because that's what was seen as the the largest buildings of the time. I think on the show notes or on my website, I will give a link to some of the pictures of the ziggurats, um, the ruins, and some sketches of what they were to look like if you want a visual. But basically, these were the skyscrapers of Mesopotamia. And so the ziggurats would have seven platforms, and I think that number seven is intentional. But these platforms, as they decreased in size, really kind of functioned as a staircase. And the purpose of this staircase of a ziggurat is to connect heaven and earth. And so the top is in the heavens and the bottom is down on earth. And it's really meant to be a portal, essentially, where the gods can come down. And it really just was a, a staircase for the, the deity to, to use. Uh, scholars believe that the ziggurat that they were building, uh, this tower, was in the city of Ur. And if you look at the um, diagrams of the city of Ur, there was a temple complex in the center of the city. And so a ziggurat is built within a temple complex, kind of next to the temple. And so if you, in that culture, if you had a temple, you also had a ziggurat. Or if you had a ziggurat, you also had the temple. They kind of functioned together. And so the purpose is to provide a way for the deity to go up and down easily to the temple. 
If you have a temple in ancient Mesopotamia, then you need a ziggurat. They just kind of go hand in hand. The other thing I thought was really interesting was I always picture this as a tower that people were climbing up inside to get to God. That's not it. In, in fact, a ziggurat is solid. And if you look at a picture that I have included, I'll put it on my website or put it in the show notes, you can see a picture of just the earth that is inside the ruins. There are no rooms. You cannot go inside. It is filled with earth. It's solid. And so really it essentially supports this giant stairway. And so it's an artificial tower to support a stairway to really connect the heavens to the earth. And the gateway to the heavens is, is at the top and the temple is on the ground at the bottom. And so as this separate structure, this would be the way for the gods to descend to earth. So um, in the pictures that I'll show, there's also a modern day picture that uh, part of the ziggurat has been restored. And you can find them. Um, this one is in modern day Iraq. And they used to hold, um, I believe, tourist tours, but nobody really goes as a tourist to Iraq anymore. But um, it's there. You can go see it. If you ever have an opportunity to see it, I think it's really worthwhile to go, go see it. But so as far as function goes, the... Um, the ziggurats, these, these towers, were not seen as a way, just to clarify, for people to ascend to the heavens. No people are going up and down this thing. And I think that's the, the biggest misconception. That's how I, I will always heard it taught or understood it, I guess, when I read it. But no people are going up and down this thing. People build it, but it's not built for themselves. It's not built for people. They build it for their deity. And it's for the deity to descend and ascend. So once it's finished and it's open up for use and it's part of the temple complex, no human being set foot on it. Uh, unless to the high priest, the high priest can go on it. But regular human beings, this is not a case where they were just trying to climb up closer to God. That's not how it functioned. And so their sin is not that they're trying to get up to heaven. And I think in some ways... I either didn't understand that or just wasn't clear or I just maybe I just assumed that I thought well that's dumb why would they want to climb all the way up to heaven what are they going to do when it gets to the top like I just didn't understand it but that's not what's going on here since the ziggurat was a bridge between heaven and earth for the gods to use it was a place for the god to come down and so we see in verse 5 that that actually does happen god does come down yahweh comes down to see the city and the tower um the there's other names given for the ziggurats uh, the sumerian texts they call them the temple of the foundation of heaven and earth and another name would be a temple that links heaven and earth and sometimes it was called the temple of the stairway to heaven. Um, that Maybe that's where uh, stairway to heaven comes from. I'm not sure. But that's really essentially what these buildings were, were made for. These towers were made for. Um, interestingly, in Genesis 28. Actually, I'm going to go there real quick so I can read it. In Genesis 28, we also see this same word, the same concept of the ziggurat, which is really interesting to me because, again, it's not how it's typically taught or typically understood, I guess. So Genesis 28, verse 12, let's see. It's talking about Jacob, when Jacob had his dream. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So think about that. 
We often teach this as Jacob's ladder and a giant ladder where angels were coming up and down. That's not what it was. It was a ziggurat. It was this platform style temple. That word here that's used, um, stairway, sometimes it's transliterated as ladder. It's, it's really this stairway ziggurat concept where the angels were the deity formation that was coming up and down the stairwell. So this concept of a ziggurat in this uh, ancient Mesopotamian culture was really common and it was something that they would not have had to explain to the original audience. They would have understood it. Um, again, in verse 17, we reference a ziggurat. It says, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And so it references that gate of heaven that would be at the top of the ziggurat. So I thought that was really interesting and helps you to kind of understand what the ziggurat would have meant in that culture. Uh, so with the Tower of Babel and the theology of the Tower of Babel, um, let's look at how this kind of all fits in. The, this tower really is representing humanity's attempt to walk with God. Okay, so they their intention, I think, was good. Their initial intention was they wanted to seek after God. Um, but they wanted to do it on their own terms. So let's go back to the making a name idea. The, the people are trying to essentially get back to Eden. So that ideal that we see in the beginning of Genesis, that, that Edenic, Edenic place, that, um, that sacred space of Eden, they're trying to reconcile their world and get back to a place of close relationship with God like it was in Eden. And so in chapter 11, we see them, they're trying to walk with God and restore that ideal, that Eden type relationship with God. But here's the problem. They're doing it on their own terms. And not only that, they are deciding where this sacred space should be, where this Eden-like space would be or could be. And they're trying to decide where God should live and reside. The, the scholars believe that they built the city in the city of Ur. And so this sacred space, this ziggurat that they built in Ur, the problem is, is that God did not choose this space. Nowhere do we see God telling them that this was sacred space. God did not initiate this. But yet God is the one who chooses and constructs his temples. People can't demand or tell God where he should reside. God does that for himself. And they are attempting to build something on their own terms instead of in response to God's terms. So they're after a good thing, but they're going about it the wrong way. What's this do? This shows us really this need for God to reveal more of himself on his own terms instead of us, you know, striving to force it to happen. But yet God does make allowance for that. We see that throughout Genesis. We see that now. So the way that God does that, well, through naming and giving function and ultimately through covenant, God provides a way to know him on his terms. So God wants his people to walk 
with him in relationship. God's goal is relationship with people, and he's made provisions for that to happen. We see that throughout the scriptures. So this Genesis 11 account is people making their own ways instead of what God has ordained them to do. And really, this is a picture of what it looks like when people try to do this by themselves. Um, In Genesis 12, however, we see the opposite. So in Genesis 11, people are trying to do this on their own, and we see the response of God. The response of God is, "Uh uh-uh, this isn't going to work. In Genesis chapter 12, we see God choosing to, to operate within that function. So he makes a name for Abram. He makes a covenant with Abraham. That's where we see God take his initiative. He's making a sacred space. He's making himself known on his terms. So Genesis chapter 11 really is a setup for us to understand the need for covenant in chapter 12, the need for God to reveal himself. That's a need we all have. We all have this need for God to reveal himself in our lives. I want to go real quick to um, the New Testament, and we see this concept um, Jesus talks about it in John, I should have had this marked, I'm sorry. In John chapter 1, verse 51. This is Jesus talking. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Son of Man is called the ziggurat. Jesus himself is calling himself the ziggurat, the portal, the way, the meeting place between heaven and earth. The goal is to not only know God, but to make him known. And Jesus himself fulfills that ultimate purpose, that that ability to have relationship, walking with God. And that's where we find our purpose and our blessing. And I'll tell you, as we wrap up, our series of what we've been talking about, uh, platform building and inappropriate, unhealthy church leadership, I can't help but think about the ziggurat. You know, I have been a part of a lot of different churches over the years, and I'll tell you, there was one where there was a building campaign, and I know a lot of people have been part of building campaigns that have gone wrong. And actually in our town, there's several that I know of that have just ended poorly. Um, but with this building campaign, it was never, I don't want to say never. I, it did not seem as if it was God's idea because it was incredibly difficult the way that it went down. The building never got built, but this desire to platform build and to expand in areas that perhaps God did not choose and apart from God's prompting or God's initiation, um, again, what we see over and over again is the intention might not have been bad, but when you go ahead of God and you do things in your own strength, that's the problem. Instead, we need to be waiting for God. And I'll tell you, the opposite happened. So with that building, it never happened. In in fact, that building, uh, there's two actual building campaigns that just fell apart. Despite people investing thousands and thousands of dollars, the buildings never happened. Um, So in a sense, you could see it was just their Tower of Babel, just God's crushing it because it wasn't his intention. 
But yet I know of two other churches that were the opposite happened. I know one church that was just kind of doing their thing, doing what God called them to do. And somebody walked in and handed them, uh, I think it was a million dollar check. Maybe it was a $5 million check. I can't remember. It was something insane where they just said, here, build your building. God told me to give this to you. Or um, what happened in our case, we we had done something called, um, and I think I might have talked about it on the podcast before, we had done something called Church on the Lawn. So like many other churches during the pandemic, our church had shut down, Was none of the churches in our community were meeting, like even the small little country churches, nothing was meeting. You couldn't have, I think it was more than 10 people at a time together. And then they raised it to 25 people. And so um, we had really been praying about what to do because we had done the whole at-home church thing with our family and we were just really missing community and fellowship with other believers. And so um, I was actually on my front porch. I was praying about it. And as I was praying about it, God showed me something. He showed me a friend of ours sitting in a camp chair in our front yard. And I thought, well, okay, maybe we're supposed to have church in our front yard. And my husband is a little bit more of an introvert than I am. And um, he came home from work that day and I was sitting at my desk right where I'm sitting right now. And he said, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, okay, what is it? And he said, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I think God wants us to host church here. And I said, okay. And he said, what do you mean? Okay. I said, well, God showed that to me this morning. And he, we both kind of just laughed about how, you know, God prepared both of us to, to, uh, beforehand to have this conversation. And so we did, we had church on the lawn. We called it church on the lawn and, um, we got together and listened. Our, our pastor had been uh, doing some online video teaching. And so we had that available throughout the week. We just had some easy worship and we just did church on our front lawn. And fast forward to a year later, um, we had been meeting with several families uh, consistently at our house and the Lord started to prompt something in our hearts and um, churches had opened up, opened back up in our community, but we had really felt the Lord leading us to this close, um, small home church type community because we had gone so long separated and isolated. We really enjoyed this close fellowship that was happening, this small group of people. And so we kind of didn't want to give that up. So we continued doing this, you know, house church model and uh, a retired pastor that was um, a a good, still a good friend, some, a mentor. um, He kept kind of prompting us like, you guys should really start a church. I said, well, we don't, we don't need to start a church where things are fine. Just doing it on the front lawn, except we live in Pennsylvania. So anytime it rains or snows, um, you know, our house is only so big. And so what ended up happening is um, I was given a phone number of somebody to call and there had been a pastor in our community who had passed away of COVID earlier in the year. And so this church was really struggling. His widow had taken over preaching. She had not even taken one week off. Um, he died midweek and she was preaching on Sunday. And so she had been kind of just exhausted in her grief and, and, um, they had dwindled down to just a couple of, uh, ladies left in the church, three or four, I think it was. And so they kind of were in a place where they were needing some help. And so within, uh, um, probably less than a week, we had made arrangements where God had given us the space and building to use and we did not have to pay for it. The only, the only thing we had to do was clean the building. And, um, 
we were actually happy to do that, to be able to bless them in that way. And so I say all of that to say that it was not our intention to start a church. It was not our intention to um, kind of just create a sacred space. We kind of did it reluctantly, but obediently, because that was what God was calling us to do. That is allowing God to lead, allowing God to initiate, allowing God to say, hey, this is sacred space. And then we come alongside with what God is already doing. And we are obedient to what God calls us to do. That is a lot different than forcing it. And I think that's what we see in the Tower of Babel story. I think that's the lesson that we can learn in the Tower of Babel story. But ultimately, I want to point back to what we read in John 1, 51. Jesus is the ziggurat. Jesus is that meeting place between heaven and earth. And if the goal is to make God known and to know him, then we have to be allowing him to, to take the lead. And so as we talk about um, some of the dangerous things that happen in church structures that are not healthy. I think a lot of it boils down to this concept of making a name. Trying to outstep God's purpose and function for our lives to try to do it on our own. And I, I really think that's the root issue here. Thankfully, we serve a God who recognized that then. He recognizes it in us. And he makes a way to allow for us to have access to who God is and the things that he wants to do in our lives through Jesus. And so that's my prayer. That's my prayer for you this week. That's my prayer for your churches is that we would pause and we would, we would recognize the areas of our lives where we're trying to make a name for ourselves. And instead we would back up and we would trust the God who is the name giver. Because ultimately, here's the thing. If you succeed in making a name for yourself, it's eventually going to crumble. I mean, we see that. They they were successful. They built the ziggurat. But what happened? God didn't allow that to succeed. God did not allow that to prosper. Because it was built on their own strength, not his. And if we are believers and we are following God's plan for our lives, we have to allow him to be the one calling the shots. And, and so even if we are successful in building our own platforms and building our own churches or doing all of these things in a way that's unhealthy, that leaves God's direction and ordination out of the picture, number one, it's not going to last. And number two, we're going to be miserable because when you're trying to do something in your own strength, there's only so long you can do it. And I've been there. I, I spent the better part of a decade doing things because of man, not because of God. Now there were moments in that in that decade that I were I was doing things because of God. And those moments were not the tiring moments. Those moments were the ones where I was operating within my purpose because I was listening to who, who God said I was. But in the other moments where I was trying to perpetuate man's agenda instead of God's agenda, those were the most exact, exhausting years of my life. And so my encouragement is to not get ahead of God. Don't build your own tower. Now, if God has a plan for you to build a tower, believe you me, he's going to provide a way for you to build that tower. But the danger comes when we say, hey, we're going to do this on our own. We're going to make a name for ourselves.
So that's my prayer for you this week, that you would recognize that perhaps there's some areas in your life. Maybe it's not church related. Maybe it's career related or maybe it's status. I know um, a lot of families just, um, you know, it's crazy. We went, we went on vacation and man, we, we were able to, God blessed us with an amazing, amazing vacation. We went, we were able to go to Hawaii for a couple weeks and it was a lifelong dream of mine. My husband had been stationed in Hawaii. And so we knew that we always wanted to take our girls there and, um, just experience some of the things that he experienced when he lived there. And, um, uh, my, my oldest daughter's getting ready to go to college next year. We just knew that time is limited. So we had just an amazing vacation. And when we came back, you would not believe the amount of people that said hateful things in their jealousy, essentially because they were jealous that we got to go and said some pretty hateful, terrible things, mostly to my children. And I thought, man, like, if we're so concerned about making a name for ourselves and keeping up with the Joneses and we're allowing this jealousy to come out of our hearts, um, we're, we're not in a good space. What does that say about a relationship with God? And so this can, this can happen in a lot of ways. This can really, um, come out in a lot of different ways. So I, I, I want to challenge you this week to think about the areas in your life. Where are you building towers? And what does God say about that? I really want to, that, that really needs to be, let me say that again. That needs to be the question. Where are you building towers? And then I want you to, to really spend some time meditating on John 1, 51. The Son of Man is called the Ziggurat. He himself is the way, that meeting place between heaven and earth. And so our goal is to realize and know the Jesus that fulfills that purpose. Our relationship, walking with God, that's where we find our purpose and our blessing. Let me pray over you. Father God, thank you so much for my friend that's listening today. Thank you that no matter where we are at in the process of building these towers, that we're not so far away that you can't reach us. So Lord God, right now, even right now, I pray that you would convict our hearts. You would reveal to us the areas in our lives where we are busy building towers, where we should be busy listening to you. God, I thank you that you are the name giver that you give us purpose and function for our lives, that, that, that the plan that you have for us is so much better than anything we could build ourselves anyway. So God, right now, I just ask for my friends, for them to hear a fresh word for you from you, that they would clearly understand what you've called them to do and what you've called them not to do. And God, I pray that you would give them the strength to be obedient to whatever it is you're speaking to them right now. God, I thank you for my, my friends that are listening. I pray that you would be with them, that your spirit would dwell in them in such a way that they would sense your tangible presence upon them this week. I thank you for these listeners. I thank you for this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, we'll talk to you next week. Have a great week. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you for God's call on your life, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Know that you are loved, you are cherished, 
and you are his.